0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are going to go all over the country today and talk to people uh, in various locations. Andy Derringer from Free Speech Television in Colorado, Vince Winkle in Los Angeles, and Kathleen Moy from... Fort Myers, Florida. We'll explain who these people are uh, a little bit as we, as we go along here. Uh, they're going to be all, I assure you, interesting guests. So whatever you do, don't touch that dial. And I'm pleased to announce that uh, Radio Parallax has now won its second George Foster Peabody Award for Excellence in Broadcasting. We, we couldn't be prouder. We're going to be talking about uh, crazed right-wing uh, media personalities during the course of this program, and uh, we should note that one of them passed away a couple of weeks ago. Wally George, who battled liberals on TV's, quote, "...hot seat," unquote, passed away in Fountain Valley, California. He uh, sparred with, quote, "...liberal," unquote, guests for nearly two decades on his show, Hot Seat. He died uh, of pneumonia at age 71, Oddly enough, Wally George was the father of actress Rebecca De Mornay. His combative television show broadcast on KDOC-TV in Anaheim. It was quite popular back in the 80s. I remember watching it when I was in a medical school. Uh, it was the predecessor, very much the predecessor of the Jerry Springer-type uh, uh, action you see today. It was sort of a mix of, uh, of Bill O'Reilly, if you will, and Jerry Springer. He called it Combat TV, was known for interrupting guests shades of Bill O'Reilly, and by shouting insults at them. Gone but not forgotten, Wally George. We have an email here uh, that was sent to us by Teresa Kinney, who is our boss uh, here at uh, KDVS Radio. Apparently, uh, someone commissioned an independent study that compared radio parallax to the O'Reilly factor. This comes out of left field. It's a complete surprise to us. We had no idea this was being done, but by gosh, we're glad it was. Once again, a comparison between this program, Radio Parallax, and Fox Television's The O'Reilly Factor. All right. The various criteria were, number one, evidence-based analysis, Radio Parallax, O'Reilly Factor, number two, telling guests to shut up, Radio Parallax, O'Reilly Factor, Use of and Radio Parallax, O'Reilly Factor, number four, criticizing the media as a liberal conspiracy, Radio Parallax, O'Reilly Factor, number five, madcap antics, Radio Parallax, the O'Reilly Factor. Number six, lied about winning two Peabody Awards. Radio parallax, <coughs> O'Reilly factor. <coughs> so there you have it. The vote is in on this independent scientific study. Radio parallax four, O'Reilly factor three. <clears throat> now we have to admit. We lied about the Peabody Award. You know, we actually didn't win a George Foster Peabody Award. We won a Charles Foster Kane Award. There was a little bit of confusion. We also won a Sherman and Mr. Peabody Award. Uh, And as for Bill O'Reilly, in Al Franken's book, Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them, a fair and balanced look at the right, Al Franken explains how he caught Bill O'Reilly telling a bit of a fib. Franken was listening to a television broadcast where someone was interviewing O'Reilly and referred to his previous uh, program, Inside Edition, as a bit of a tabloid show, which prompted uh, O'Reilly to snort, well, tabloid show? It won two Peabody Awards, the most prestigious award in broadcasting. I suppose we should just give those back. Well, Franken thought that was odd that a tabloid show had won two Peabody Awards, so he called up the people at the Peabody Awards and said, Did you give one to Inside Edition? No, they said. No, we certainly did not. So he called up O'Reilly, who returned his call, and he said, uh, So you won two Peabody Awards? And uh, O'Reilly said, Yes. And he says, Well, that's funny, because the Peabody Award people don't think you did. Let me quote this verbatim from the book. Let me, let me pull this out of his chapter on, on Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, Al, what can I do for you? Well, first of all, Bill, congratulations on all your success. Thanks, what's up? Okay, I saw you the night on C-SPAN. You said Inside Edition had won a couple of Peabody's. That's right, we won two. Well, maybe you should check that out with the Peabody people because they don't think you did. There was a pause at the end of the phone. Then I'll call you back. About 10 minutes later, Bill was on the line. It was a Polk. A Polk, I asked? Yeah, just as prestigious as the Peabody. So, there are two most prestigious awards in journalism? (laughs) Bill didn't appreciate the sarcasm. Al, it's a very prestigious award. Fine, I said. But Bill, don't you think it's a little ironic that you got it wrong about a journalism award? Okay, Al, go after me if you want. And he hung up. And by the way, Franken notes in the book that Polk Inside Edition won it over a year after O'Reilly left the show. That's right, O'Reilly Confused one Polk Award won after he left the show with two Peabody's. I love this book, Lies and the Lying Liars Who Tell Them. I can't recommend it highly enough. I think you should go out and snag one And in our second segment today. We want to explain in some detail how it is Al Franken pretty much knocks one out of the park. News item we need to talk about. San Francisco Chronicle, October 18th, 2003. Sewage sludge as fertilizer gets EPA's nod of approval. Farmers and others who use sewage sludge as fertilizer will not face government restrictions over the possible cancer-causing dioxins it may contain. This story's been around for a while. Uh, There's an excellent book that I cannot recommend highly enough to you titled Toxic Sludge is Good for You. It's based on a Tom Tomorrow cartoon by Dan uh, Dan Perkins. Of course, you're familiar with this from the Sacramento News and Review every Thursday. A darned fine cartoon, which uh, which we love, and quote from frequently. This book, Toxic Fludge is Good for You, is subtitled Lies, Damn Lies, and the Public Relations Industry by John Stauber and Sheldon Rampton. It is a very good read, and I suggest you go to your local bookseller and get a copy of it. I have the uh, second edition here, uh, copyright 1995. And uh, in chapter 8, they explain where the title of the book came from. This is mostly an expose about the public relations industry, but it has an excellent chapter, this chapter number 8, about, specifically, toxic sludge. They wanted a grabber name for this book, They were contemplating whether to call it uh, Masters of Deceit in in the fashion of J. Edgar Hoover's classic 1950s anti-communist diatribe or perhaps lifting the title from Arnold Schwarzenegger's 1994 film, True Lies. They settled on the toxic sludge because it was a very funny cartoon, which is reproduced in the book, and thought it it would grab people. To their surprise, they received a call from Nancy Blatt, public information officer of the Water Environment Federation. She was concerned the title might interfere with the Federation's plans to transform the image of sewage sludge. It's not toxic, she said, and we're launching a campaign to get people to stop calling it sludge. We call it biosolids. Now, it may be worth mentioning, as I was uh, boning up on this, that uh, this hasn't got the coverage that perhaps it warrants from someone like National Public Radio. I suspect this is because, as it's revealed on page 100 of this book, that the PR firm that represents the Water Environment Federation is the blue-chip Washington-based slash firm of Powell Tate, as in Jody Powell, President Jimmy Carter's press secretary and confidant, and Sheila Tate, who was the Vice President George Bush and First Lady Nancy Reagan's confidant. Sheila Tate is also the chairperson of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We speculate there's a bit of a conflict of interest here. It has, however, aired on National Public Radio. We know someone who got a story on, and we're going to put a call to him in a few minutes, Vince Winkle in Los Angeles, to talk about his story on this same matter. We should mention that this group, the Water Environment Federation, which just, I think, calls to mind, you know, cascading uh, creeks and, you know, in a bucolic setting, uh, was formerly called the Federation of Sewage Works Associations. Uh, After that, it was called the Federation of Sewage and Industrial Wastes Association. That was in the 50s. In 1960, it changed its name to the Water Pollution Control Federation. They decided to go green in 1990, however, and changed Water Pollution Control Federation to Water Environment Federation. Now, as explained in, in this book, uh, once you create sludge from something like New York City with all its millions of inhabitants, there's basically five things you can do with it. You can incinerate it, releasing pollution into the air, dump it into landfills, which is expensive, and can leach contaminants into groundwater. You should ocean dump it, where it creates vast underwater dead seas, You can gasify it uh, using sludge to generate methanol energy, which is favored uh, as the most environmentally sound approach, but unfortunately it's the most expensive. And then there's the fifth approach. Call it plant fertilizer and dump it on farm fields. It's the cheapest method available. Guess which one has become the favored method. Let's talk to someone who's done some work in this area. Joining us now from Los Angeles to talk about the issue of toxic sludge is longtime public broadcast journalist Vince Winkle. Vince, uh, welcome to Radio Parallax. Thanks, Doug. I understand that you um, got involved in this matter of some toxic sludge that was being spread around eastern Colorado. Tell us about that.
1: That's right. I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, I was talking with an environmental activist who also teaches at the University of Colorado uh, about a variety of... uh, toxic waste sites and, and uh, different people we knew that were kind of fighting the fight. And she told me about a Superfund site in Denver called the Lowry Landfill. The contaminated groundwater had been, uh, was being allowed to flow into Denver's sewer pipes, go through the Denver's sewage treatment plant, and then the sludge from that was being distributed over thousands of acres of a uh, government-owned cropland in eastern Colorado. That in and of itself didn't sound so, so good. When we realized that the Superfund site uh, had a variety of wells across it in which plutonium had been dumped in the 19, I believe in the 1960s, and that there were still readings of plutonium on the site, uh, that's when the alarm bells started to go off.
0: The plutonium and the sludge, what's the connection?
1: Well, plutonium uh, is not readily water soluble. So it collects in sewage pipes, and it concentrates in sludge. And no matter what sort of water treatment facility a city or municipality has, it's not going to remove uh, nuclear isotopes, including plutonium.
0: So somewhere upstream of of that sewage processing, there was someone that was dumping radioactive waste that included plutonium, and it got concentrated into the sludge.
1: Presumably. I mean, the, 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 the Superfund site had, you know, every heavy metal imaginable. It had plutonium, and all of this was seeping into the groundwater, which was going through the Denver Sewage Treatment Plant facility. And, of course, when they go through that, all the solids that come out of a sewage treatment plant are termed biosolids or, or sludge. It's sold in bags called MetroGrow although the environmentalists call it Metro Glow. <laughs> and uh, it, it, that sludge is spread on these wheat fields all over eastern Colorado. By the time the sludge reaches the farmland, what toxic materials remain you know, in the material? The EPA approved this Superfund cleanup plan, mm-hmm. and that is what alarmed a lot of environmentalists because it set up uh, a precedent that Cities can allow radioactive contaminated waste to be accepted at sewage treatment plants. So it's not just a Colorado issue, it's, it's a national issue.
0: Because they're sending this stuff everywhere.
1: Right. I mean, uh, uh, up in Tonawanda, New York, that city spent more than $3 million to remove nuclear contamination from its sewer system. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's happening in, in large and small cities around the country. And even without the whole uh, concept of having, you know, the plutonium in the sludge, Sludge itself is just not the healthiest matter, you know, on the face of the earth.
0: Yeah, we should probably explain that, you know, if, if I recommend highly this book, Toxic Sludge is Good for You, by uh, John Stauber and Sheldon Rampton. It's mostly an expose about the public relations in- industry, but they took their title about this, uh, from Tom Tomorrow cartoon, oddly enough, about about what sludge is and they explain that in the old days of course uh, you can you can recycle human waste you can, or, or animal waste and it makes an excellent fertilizer but in the modern era uh, when you mix industrial chemicals with this it's quite a different story
1: Right, a lot of substances uh, are unregulated that end up in the sewer systems that end up in sludge earlier this month something like seventy five environmental groups petitioned the epa for a national ban on the use of sludge as fertilizer, Yes. you know, they're saying the contents are unpredictable and hazardous. Uh, at the same time, I believe it was last week, that the EPA came out with its ruling.
0: It's now approved as fertilizer by right. the EPA. and they're not
1: going to restrict sludge as fertilizer.
0: Well, uh, you know, the National Resources Defense Council, uh, people we're going to have on the show in the future, we talked to Craig Noble, uh, their, their San Francisco office, they're going to put us in touch with some people uh, about this issue of dioxins and other uh, dioxin-like compounds, which really got their attention. But there's, you know, the, in, in this book, Toxics, that they list a number of things that are in there, and it's you know, heavy metals like cadmium and uh, lead, that once they're in the soil, you don't get them back out again, uh, chlorinated pesticides, uh, bacteria, viruses, protozoans, parasitic worms, fungi, things that are in sewage that aren't necessarily killed completely by treatment, and uh, it's just a, it's a terrible situation.
1: You know, and you, and you know better than anyone that exposure to these types of toxins, it takes years yeah. for the, the effect, you know, whether it's a cancer or, or another disease. It can take 10 or 20 years before that is manifested in an individual. Yeah. So what's been going on the past 5 or 10 years... We still haven't seen the results of right and you know the federal government and state governments are horrible about doing follow-up health studies yes the federal government and the new york state department of public health still has not done a comprehensive follow-up health study on that little neighborhood in niagara falls called love canal yeah and the people who were evacuated there in 1978 yeah and because these studies don't get done different government agencies can turn around and say you have no proof that this is bad.
0: Right. No study, no no evidence. So, Vince, how far did this story, did you get with this story?
1: Well, we, we, we got it on the air, and uh, it was a very emotional story because I spent some time with the farmers in eastern Colorado who were very upset that, that their private farms were surrounded by uh, government-owned farms where you know, tons and tons of this fertilizer was dumped every day. And of course, with the winds out there, mm-hmm. it's getting distributed on everyone else's land. Right. They're still allowing the contaminated water from this Superfund site to go into the city sewer system, which means that uh, components of it are eventually ending up as fertilizer in farms and perhaps in you know, my next bowl of Wheaties.
0: Well, they, they, a lot of uh, major food um, uh, giants have refused to let this onto cropland that would later wind up in food products, but they're apparently wavering on this now uh, as well, which I think is a, is a grave concern anyone is worried about what they're eating.
1: Many people still seem to think when the EPA says it's safe, it's safe. But the Environmental Protection Agency, in my experience in, in dealing with them during covering this story a few years ago in Colorado, you know, the last thing that seemed to be on anybody's mind was human safety.
0: Well, Vince Winkle, I appreciate your, your uh, to talking to us about this. We don't have time to go into this detail that it warrants, but would you please come back on in the weeks to come as we come back to the topic and, and delve in a little more deeply? Absolutely. All right. Thank you very much. You bet. Once again, that was Vince Winkle. He's currently affiliated with KCET in Los Angeles. He's had many years of experience in public broadcasting and has won awards for his work. Vincent's concerns about the EPA uh, are points well taken. I'm sitting on an article from the Sacramento Bee on uh, September 4th, 2003. I don't know if you saw this story. Uh, from the Knight-Ritter newspaper, Seth Bornstein, eyebrows raised as pair leave. EPA, Dateline Washington, two top environmental protection agency officials who are deeply involved in easing an air pollution rule for old power plants just took jobs with firms that benefit from the changes. Days after the changes in the power plant pollution rule were announced last week, John Pemberton, the chief of staff in the EPA's Air and Radiation Office, told colleagues he'd be joining Southern Company, an Atlanta-based utility that's the nation's number two power plant polluter. He was a driving force in the lobbying for the rule change. Also, Ed Krennic, who had been with the EPA as Associate Administrator for Congressional Affairs, started work Tuesday at that time at Bracewell and Patterson, a top Houston-based law firm that coordinated lobbying for several utilities on easing the power plant pollution rule. John Walkie, the director of the Clean Air Project at the National Resources Defense Council, said it... uh, Smells as bad as it looks. I very much am looking forward to talking with uh, some representatives of the NRDC about this and numerous other issues. Stay tuned for that in the weeks to come. It's worth mentioning that some of these previous battles in the, uh, the Sludge War got national coverage in uh, 1994 when it was featured on TV Nation, the satiric show hosted by investigative filmmaker Michael Moore. TV Nation accompanied a trainload of New York sludge cake, which was described as rich and moist like most finer cakes, from New York to Sierra Blanca, Texas, where Merco, which is the company that was um, basically um, brokering the arrangement by which this sludge from large cities is is spread over uh, small towns in America, their representative Kelly Sarber led a tour of the farm site. Apparently on camera she said there's been a lot of thought, there's a lot of integrity in how we're doing this, and the proof is in the pudding. Which uh, may be a good segue, I think, to the end of this segment. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento, Roseville. And um, in our second segment, we're going to talk a little bit about Michael Moore's appearance last night at the University of the Pacific. Michael Moore will be appearing in Davis, on Monday. This will be an interesting prelude for his local appearance. Stay tuned.